Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. As always, this podcast is brought to you by the American Negotiation Institute, and the Institute has some very exciting news for you. On February 27th in Columbus, Ohio, we will be having our very first negotiation and conflict management seminar that is open to the public. It's an all-day training that will give you the confidence you need to overcome the fear and anxiety that comes with difficult conversations, and it will also give you a powerful set of strategic and tactical negotiation tools that will help you to maximize the outcomes of your business negotiations and help you to deal with difficult people. And... We'll get to hang out after the session, which will be so much fun. There are only 20 seats available and space is running out because the Ohio State University's procurement team has already bought 10 of those seats. So if this is something you're interested in, make sure you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And if you have a job that pays for professional development training, they might cover the cost for you. So hopefully I will see you in February. Welcome to 2019, everybody. I hope 2018 was good, and I hope 2019 is going to be even better. Uh, We are going to start off the year with something a little bit different. Our guests today are Janine Carroll and Helen Rapp. Um, They are my friends from Ronald McDonald House in Cleveland, Ohio. And so last year, I did a keynote speech at the Ronald McDonald House's Midwest Summit in, um, in Columbus, Ohio, and it went really well. And so... Janine reached out to me to do a webinar on conflict management. And so there was a lot of engagement, but we weren't able to get to all of the questions at the end. So I wanted to have them on the show to ask those questions that we weren't able to get to. So instead of going too deep into the intros, I uh, decided to go ahead and let them introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about the work that they're doing. And then we'll go straight into the questions. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Janine and Helen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to have you both on. And this is this is going to be a little bit different from our other episodes, uh, more of a kind of a question and answer type of format, which will be which will be really fun. But before we get into it, um, Janine, I want to give you the floor and give you an opportunity to kind of set the stage and, and let the audience know about um, the program that we're dealing with with uh, Red Treehouse. Thank you very much, Kwame. And thank you for allowing us to have this time to talk with your listeners. Uh, Red Treehouse is a program, a virtual resource of the Ronald McDonald House of Cleveland. And what it is is basically an online resource link for families, not just those who have stayed at the Ronald McDonald House, but anyone who might have a child with some kind of of special need or challenge or disability or healthcare need. And what we found is that Many times lots of information is out there, but but families don't know where to go for that information or how to know what's what's actually the right information. So we have put together this online directory of resources and guides to help to um, assist families to navigate 
the systems that they'll need and access resources in their local communities. Some of the issues that we see that families have a lot of of concerns about are things related to financial issues and legal issues, what their rights are in certain situations, and how to advocate for their child and their, their children's needs. And what this oftentimes leads into is conflict. And we see uh, many times that families just aren't sure how to appropriately advocate without conflict when there are differences of opinions between, for example, the school and what what accommodations might be needed or in the healthcare system, um, what kinds of treatments they are able to get. And so we wanted to reach out to to you, Kwame, to help to understand a little bit more and help our our participants understand a little bit more about how to approach conflict in a in a in a better way and a way that is producing the best effects for the child. So, as an attorney and a negotiator and a, uh, an expert in conflict resolution, we wanted to invite you to participate in um, addressing our our audiences. Thank you. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. I, uh, as you were saying, as an attorney and uh, a negotiator and expert in conflict, uh, I, I could just hear my my wife in the back of my head saying, "Yeah, he is an expert in conflict." <laughs> Starting them, <laughs> but I'm glad that in other locations my expertise is uh, <laughs> appreciated. Uh, so thank you, thank you for the uh, invite, and I had a lot of fun. And um, Helen, can you kind of give a little bit of background on um, the webinar and how it went and what kind of things we we talked about? Um, Sure, I would be happy to. Hello, everybody. I am uh, thrilled to be part of today's podcast. I've had the pleasure of working with Janine on developing resources for Red Treehouse for a little over a year now. And my background is actually in engineering, and I have worked as an engineer for about 35 years. But I'm also a mother of three adult children. And my daughter, Jane, who is now 22 years old, um, has cerebral palsy. And raising Jane has taught me just how difficult it can be to navigate the systems that you need when you have a family member with a significant disability. I've had to learn how to be Jane's advocate. Um, I've had to learn what the laws are with respect to education, health care, employment, and housing. So when I was um, 50, I decided that I wanted to find a way to help other families who have children with disabilities. Um, I wanted not only to help them understand these complex systems that they would need for their children, but I wanted to do some advocacy work and hopefully improve and simplify these systems. So I went to law school, and I am now an attorney licensed to practice in New York. And when Janine um, first talked to me about asking you, Kwame, to lead a webinar on conflict resolution, I knew immediately how helpful this topic could be to families with disabled children and also to their service providers. So as a new attorney and as a mom, I know that I could benefit by sharpening my own conflict resolution skills. So I was super excited when you agreed to do uh, the the webinar that we held um, in early November. 
And, um, you know, that webinar was um, very well received. Um, the feedback's been tremendous. It was very interactive. We had uh, more questions than you could possibly get to within the constraints of 60 minutes. Um, and we are just thrilled that you have agreed to um, have a follow-up webinar for our site at the end of January. Um, and we're very much looking forward to that after the holidays. Um, so it was great, and we're really excited about where we can go with this. So thank you. My pleasure. It was it was a lot of fun for me too, and I, I like it because it was um, a unique intellectual challenge for me. Because usually, when I do these presentations, it's to uh, professionals in uh, the these big companies negotiating big contracts, like sales contracts, procurement contracts, people in supply chain, attorneys, um, business leaders, those type of things. And so, bringing those same conflict resolution skills to this arena was was fun and difficult. So I, I'm glad glad that it was, it was well received and um, it was a lot of fun for me too. And um, now I think it's, let's get to those questions, some of those leftover questions. And uh, what we'll do is we'll just treat this like a question and answer session. Well, thank you so much, Kwame. One of the questions that I'd like to, to bring up that the participants asked was, how do you keep the emotion aspect out of future planning, for example. Um, we had a, a person who works with children and teens with disabilities, and future planning with families can create a lot of conflict. So could you help to address that, that question? Yes. Um, first, I will give an unsatisfactory response and then give an elaboration that can make you feel a little bit better about it. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the response is that you cannot keep emotions out of these difficult conversations. Um, the emotions are going to be a, a natural byproduct of difficult situations. And if you are not feeling emotional in these situations to a certain extent, um, that means you're a psychopath. <laughs> That's another problem. Okay, <laughs> so so let let's start there. Now the the real issue becomes how do we prevent the emotions that are at play from coming into the conversation in a way that is unproductive. I think that's the bigger issue. And so let's start first with our own emotions. And so when it comes to our emotions, we can't just push them down to the surf, uh, below the surface and, and simply have that be our strategy. Because what happens is there will be psychological leakage, emotional leakage that will come out and it would come out oftentimes at inopportune times. And so the emotion needs to be addressed. And in my book, I gave a three-part strategy for addressing conflict, um, both internally and externally, and it can be applied in the exact same fr framework, in the exact same order internally and externally, externally, and that's compassionate curiosity. And so the steps are first, acknowledge emotion. Second, use compassionate curiosity. And then third, engage in joint problem solving. So let's work through this for us within our own minds. So first, we need to acknowledge the emotion. Once we feel that thing inside of us, we need to label it. What is it that we are feeling? Um, what's, what is the name? How can, and where did it come from? And so simply labeling the emotion has the impact of kind of giving us a little bit more control and power over it. Because the emotions come from a 
a part of our brain called the amygdala, which creates these negative emotions and positive emotions. But the amygdala doesn't lead to rational thinking. The part of our brain that does lead to rational thinking is the prefrontal cortex. And the only way we can label that emotion is if we utilize the prefrontal cortex. So it's a little bit of a, a mental trick there because by actually taking the time and slowing down to identify clearly what we're feeling, it forces us to engage a higher level part of our brain. And so the next step, which is getting curious with um, compassion, um, is when we start asking why we feel this way. Where did this emotion, emotion originate from? And the reason we want to do this with compassion is because we can judge ourselves prematurely. And if we judge ourselves, what happens is that it stops the process short and we don't analyze beyond that point. So if I'm saying to myself, Kwame, you're upset, but you shouldn't be upset. You're a lawyer. You're in conflict all the time. You should be better than this. Now I stop investigating. And there's important information that lies behind there. So we need to ask ourselves those questions. And so once we figure out those answers, now we engage in the third step, which is joint problem solving. And uh, so it might seem weird. How are we engaging in joint problem solving within our head? Um, and in this stage, what we're doing is we are getting our hearts and minds on the same page so we can create solutions that satisfy both. Because the reality is the emotions play an important role and our solutions need to address our emotional needs and our substantive needs. And through going through this process, it allows you to identify what your emotional need is and then what your substantive need is. And then when you actually get into the conflict with the other person, now you have an idea, you have a clear understanding of the solutions that would be able to satisfy both. And so that's how you start to master your own emotions before even getting into the conflict. Hey everyone, I just wanted to pop in and give you a quick reminder about our workshop on February 27th in Columbus, Ohio. It is going to be a lot of fun and I know you're going to get a lot out of it. Based on the feedback from the participants of previous workshops, the benefits of the workshop include feeling more confident in their ability to get what they want and need out of these conversations and the belief that they know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it in order to maximize impact during these difficult conversations. If you want to learn more about the workshop and you want to see the testimonials from people who have been in the workshops before, check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. I think that that helps and that um, I think you're talking a lot about your as an individual yourself. Um, one of the things that I can hear the participants saying is, well, what if the other party isn't doing the same thing? How do you get them to, to do that? What if they're in denial um, about their emotions and can't label those? So maybe that's what you're going to get into. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, it's the exact same process, but we often run into those people who don't want to own their emotions. So if we ask an emo ask them a question that pertains to it and we say, um, how are you feeling about this situation um, or something to that effect, they might resist because they don't want to be vulnerable in that way. And so they say, emotion, I'm not emotional about it. This is what I need. And so <laughs> just by their tone, we could say, okay, well... <laughs> There's clearly some emotion back there. We're not saying that audibly, of course. We're saying that to ourselves. And so what I often do, and especially I use this especially as a mediator, um, is I own the emotion for them. And so sometimes people don't want to own it for themselves. And so I would say, listen, if I were in your situation, I would be frustrated too. 
or if I were in your situation and I haven't gone through this process, I would be a little bit scared or I wouldn't uh, know exactly what's going to happen. That would make me feel uncomfortable. And so simply by acknowledging it for them on their behalf, um, they could either silently accept it or oftentimes what often happens is the fact that people don't like to be misidentified. They might not want to tell you, <laughs> but they hate being mislabeled. And I remember distinctly in one of my mediations, I said, yeah, if I were in your position, I would be frustrated. And uh, this woman was stoic the whole time. And then she said, I'm not frustrated. I'm angry. And I'm angry because of blah, blah, blah. Now, hey, now we're getting some gold here. I hit it. I didn't hit it directly, but I was wrong, and she corrected me with the correct answer. And so that is a way that you can kind of circumvent that that barrier that prevents other people from sh uh, sharing their emotion. And then once you've addressed it, um, what you what you'll notice is oftentimes they'll start to calm down a little bit, and then you move into the next stage, and that's where you're asking questions with compassion. And you do this compassionately because oftentimes our tone is is in the wrong place, um, and our tone, even though we are asking a question and the words just taken by themselves um, are not aggressive, our tone is aggressive and then it registers as, as a threat and then they start to bottle up. And now we have a barrier to the, uh, to the free flow of information. And so that's why I use the term compassion in that stage. And then joint problem solving, um, once we've gone through the process of acknowledging the emotion to remove that emotional barrier or at least um, uh, diminish it a little bit, and now we've gathered information through asking questions and being curious, now we have enough information that we can use to start trading proposals. Well, based on what I see, I think this might work. What do you think? And then they say, well, no, maybe not. What, what do you think? And so this is really just the, uh, the heart of collaborative negotiation. Now we're working together to try to solve the problem. Got it. Got it. Well, one of the things that uh, we talked about during the first webinar was taking a break sometimes that you just it's so emotional that you need to take a break and um, one of the questions that the participant asked was well how do you reapproach then once you have taken that break and the uh, the emotional um, charge of the situation is diminished then how do you reapproach it so would you suggest that joint problem solving is where you need to, to go there or do you still need to acknowledge what took place I think one of the most important things to recognize here is with the compassionate curiosity framework, it's not rigid. And so what you can do is if you are revisiting the conversation, you can start it off with small talk and then try to assess whether or not that emotional barrier is still there. And if it is, then you start at step one. If it's not, then you can go to steps two and start asking questions. And if you feel like you already have gone through those, those two steps in the previous conversation, then you can just start at number three and start trading proposals. Um, but it's important to, uh, to kind of test the waters to see where it is you need to, to start. And with regard to taking time, I think more specifically, if possible, try and take a day. And the reason I say take a day is because you allow people to sleep on it. And what's interesting is that the term sleeping on it is a term that comes up in different ways 
in almost every single culture <laughs> around the world. It is embedded wisdom into our worldwide traditions that sleeping on, on a problem makes it better. But for centuries, we never understood why, but now we do. And so what happens is that through the process of sleep, you engage in uh, emotional therapy, essentially. Through the REM process, the dream process, um, we are able to start to process and work through some of the emotional events that happen during the day. That's why we can often go to sleep really, really frustrated and angry and mad, but we rarely wake up with that same level of, of fervor, right? And so mm -hmm. giving people the opportunity to sleep on these problems has the impact of diminishing the amount of um, negativity and emotional barriers that you're going to face um, when you revisit the conversation the next day. Another thing that I hear is, well, that's well and good, but we can't, we don't have time to do that. We have, for example, an IEP meeting and it has to take place now and we have half an hour and we've gotten all these people here. <laughs> How do you yeah. address that? Yeah. Well, first, before the conversation starts or at the very beginning of the conversation, um, what I would do is I would set expectations and say, listen, in most situations, if we hit a certain kind of barrier, I think it would be better to take time and patience would be helpful. But given our time restrictions now, we have to reach a certain conclusion just because of the restrictions here. So there might be times in the conversations where it feels like I'm pushing hard and I am <laughs> pushing hard, unnaturally so, because of this time constraint. Um, and so that's why I know for me, it's going to be tough because sometimes it, I, I get frustrated, but I'm going to try to keep it together and push through. And um, I, I, I'm hoping that you can do the same. Uh, but unfortunately, we just don't have the time to, to slow things down if it gets too, uh, too heated, because frankly, we just don't have the, the, the luxury of rescheduling this and doing it at a different time or something like that. Like that. And so what I'm doing in that is I'm, I'm giving the, I'm setting the expectations because if somebody feels bullied or pushed or feels like I'm not listening um, without that, that's, that's going to be the extent of their analysis. Kwame's a jerk. <laughs> He's not listening to me. Um, but what I'm doing mm -hmm. is I'm setting the expectations and letting them know that, hey, you're, you are going to feel this. And it's not because of a, a, a level of disrespect that I have for you. It's because of the level of respect I have for the time. And so there are going to be levels of discomfort that both of us are going to feel. And don't feel as though that's uh, an indication of this thing going poorly. Um, I want everybody to get on the same page. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned uh, setting expectations. And Helen, you might want to speak a little bit to that too. I think that's, that's kind of a theme of some of the guides that we've put together is, is uh, setting expectations and being prepared and, and, and knowing what you um, want to be asking and all of that so that some of the anxiety is taken out of the situation. I think that's exactly right. And um, again, the perfect example in our arena of families who have children with special needs is really special education because again, you have families who very understandably want to make sure their child is getting, you know, the very best education possible. And, you know, the conflict comes in because the law actually does not call for that. You know, the law requires that children with special needs get an education, but it, it does not require the very best. And although school districts, for the most part, 
really do care and really do want to do best by children, they simply don't have the resources. And so they may be meeting what the law requires, and yet the parents don't see that. So maybe their expectations um, are just sort of out of sync with what the school is going to be able to deliver. So expectation setting is, um, you know, is really critical. One of the questions, too, um, came from a parent mentor. And many times, Kwame, these are, are individuals who who work um, for the school district or sometimes not for the school district, but their role is to, to help the parents and the schools try to find happy mediums and, and help to understand each other and um, understand the process. And she she indicated she realizes that we're not going to be able to give what the parents want sometimes. What's the best approach to addressing that with the parents? I think we can revisit the previous answer to a certain extent on this. Um, going into those conversations, I think it's often helpful to let people know that there are going to be things that you want uh, that are completely legitimate requests given your needs at the moment. However, um, recognizing the limits of my power and limits to the uh, the power of the school district, there are going to be things that we will not be able to uh, deliver. And so I want to let you know beforehand, it's not an indication of our unwillingness to help or the fact that we don't care. Um, we are going to do the best that we can to serve your needs and the needs of your child. Um, but given um, our lack of resources and the constraints of the regulations that we're dealing with, um, we, there's going to have to be a little bit of, of compromise on both sides when it comes to this conversation. And making sure beforehand that that they get a clear understanding of that, and if you're serving as a, essentially in a, a pseudo-mediator role between them and the school district, kind of giving the same, same spiel to the other side would be helpful too. Um, so people don't think, all right, I know I am right, and because I'm right, I'm going to get 100% of what I want. Uh, You you want to avoid that type of mentality as much as you can um, by setting the stage and setting clear expectations at the beginning of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Kwame, one of our participants um, wanted you to speak a little bit about what the difference is between conflict resolution and mediation, and how do you know when you need to go to mediation? Well, when it comes to the decision of whether or not to go to mediation or in in a less um, formalized process, recruit a, a third party to serve as the intermediary between you and the other party, I think the determination is whether or not you feel as though you are the right person to deliver the message. In um, negotiation literature, there's something called reactive devaluation. And with reactive devaluation, essentially what that means is that just because you said it, I don't believe you. <laughs> and so I think that's something that a lot of parents can uh, can relate to. Just because of your position as the parent in the situation, um, you feel as though uh, the, the teenager is not... Paying, they, they just cannot respect what it is that you're saying. And so that can be frustrating. But a solution is to find a third party um, that could deliver the message for you. And what's critical here is when you're making this determination, you need to include the other party in the, um, in the process. Um, and I say that because if they feel like you chose the intermediary, then they are going to experience reactive devaluation with that person as well. 
And so you need to involve them in the process and make sure that they have bought into the idea that this person is a, a, um, an unbiased third-party representative that's solely focused on trying to reach agreement if an agreement exists. And I think that's going to be the main thing. Now, if you feel as though you just need to try a little bit harder to work with the other person, then I, I suggest continuing to use the compassionate curiosity framework and um, the other um, uh, tactics and tools that we've discussed on the prod on this podcast over the past two years. Um, but yeah, if if you don't feel as though um, you are the right messenger, then that's when you need to bring in a third party. What would you suggest doing? Um, let's say it's not that the other person is emotional, but maybe they're just in complete denial or they're naive about you know what the problem is. Um, how, how do you deal with that situation? That is tough. That is tough. And I think one of the things that we need to consider is persuasive weight. And um, with persuasive weight, this is a, this is a, a term that I included in the book or, or coined in the book. Um, you have to consider how heavy is this conversation. So, for example, if I'm having a conversation with um, my significant other and uh, we're trying to decide where we're going to eat tonight, that's a pretty light conversation. If I have an agenda <laughs> with regard to where I want to go, I don't think it would be too difficult to persuade uh, my my wife in this case to um, to go and, and, and eat at the restaurant that I suggest. That's pretty easy. But if there's something that's a little bit heavier, that's uh, where she's experiencing what I consider to be denial, I recognize that there are going to be steps that need to the cognitive steps that she needs to take in order to reach the point where I am at this point. And so even taking it away from a situation where somebody's in denial in a negotiation, sometimes where we have a big request and just because of the perceived risk, they might not be willing to give you everything you want at one time. And so what I suggest doing in these cases is breaking the conversation into micro-negotiations. And so we recognize that, okay, I can't get everything that I want right now. So what I'm going to do is in this conversation, I'm going to try and take one step forward. My only goal is to move the needle forward in this conversation. And if I'm able to do that, great. And then maybe the next goal in this same conversation is to schedule a follow-up conversation to continue to move the needle forward. Because sometimes it is just too big of a jump for somebody to make in, in one negotiation, and it might take multiple conversations. Um, but think of it kind of like fishing. If you try to get too aggressive while fishing, then the fish scatter. And then you, you've, undi you've undone all the work that you've done previously. And so if it, especially if it's a highly emotional issue and you, you genuinely believe that it is an issue of denial, um, it just might take more than one conversation. Another question from one of our webinar participants, Kwame, was what if you continually experience passive-aggressive behavior from those you work with and that leads to conflict? I think what would be helpful here is to start off with an operational definition of passive-aggressive. And essentially what it is, if somebody is being passive-aggressive, they, um, they have an agenda, um, but they don't want to bring that 
agenda to the surface um, where we could have a, a, a level discussion about it. Um, they want to veil their actions and what they say in, um, in a cloak of plausible deniability where if you try to address it head on, um, they could say, what? No, me? No, 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 no. Everything's okay. <laughs> but they'll keep right. on trying to uh, um, uh, do things to uh, frustrate uh, what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And so one thing that we can do in those situations is try your best to address it directly. And then if they try to avoid it, address it hypothetically. And so what that would look like is, um, hey, Janine, in, in the meeting, it seemed as though there was something that you wanted to say. And um, I know it can be tough sometimes where there are a lot of people going back and forth and some side discussions happening. But um, I wanted to give you an opportunity here. It's just you and me to... to uh, to voice any concerns you might have. And so you see here what I've done is I have, I've said, listen, I see that there is some behavior that indicates to me that there could potentially be a problem. And so I've given you the opportunity to say it so we could have a, a discussion about it um, without any subterfuge. And so then what you could say, um, let's take it to the next level of frustration here, <laughs> and the person denies it and says, no, 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 everything's fine, everything's fine. And so then I could say, okay, well, great. Now I, now, now I would uh, introduce the hypothetical situation and say, well, listen, if there's ever in any situation where there's something that you want to say, um, please do not hesitate to say it to me. So, for example, if you have a situation with the way that I'm handling the meetings or the way that I've distributed, um, distributed the resources or responsibilities, um, I'm really open to a discussion and I would love to hear what it is that you have to say about it. And so there I'm getting a little bit more... Um, a little bit more specific in a hypothetical because I don't know exactly what it is you might want because of that that veil of um, ambiguity that you've intentionally put over the situation. And so I want to get more specific to let you know that I have an idea of what your problem might be. Um, and so again, here's the opportunity to discuss it. And so oftentimes when somebody is um, approached in that way, they will abandon their efforts because if somebody's being passive aggressive, it means that they don't want to have a confrontation. They don't want to have a level discussion about it. And now that they see that um, their their behavior has been identified and there is a prospect of potential difficult conversation on the horizon, they might just abandon their efforts and say it's not worth it because I'm afraid of the conversation. But you also want to approach it in a way that gives them a way to have the conversation in a non-threatening way. Um, because maybe that was what they were afraid of. Maybe they were afraid of the way you would handle it. And by approaching the conversation here, um, in, this, in this manner, in a respectful way, they might feel a little bit safer. And so that's the strategy behind that. And so, again, if we think I've... about it like a, a micro-negotiation, in this situation, we are trying to negotiate for a real conversation. <laughs> you know, that's right, our goal right. here. And so it, it breaks down um, what we want into a smaller piece that's easily digestible for you strategically and um, easier for them to handle too. I really like that you gave some specific examples there. I think many people can identify with that. And, you know, the title of our first webinar and even in the second web webinar is, is to find confidence in conflict. And I think both the people who are using passive aggressive behavior and those who are objects of it often have difficult 
difficulty having the confidence to be able to address the issue head on. So I, I, I love that there are some specific strategies that you you give in the webinar, the first one, which is actually recorded and is on our website. And also, uh, the, we'll be delving a little bit more into that compassionate curiosity framework and strategies to not only resolve conflicts, but to feel good about what you're doing and feel confident in doing so. Fantastic. Well, good. I'm glad that it was helpful. And it was a pleasure having both of you on the show today. It's cool kind of being interviewed by <laughs> by somebody else for the show. <laughs> this this was a pleasant change of pace. But yes, thank mm-hmm. you both for coming on the show. And um, I know this was great for the listeners. Yes. Well, thank, thank you so you. much. And registration is open at, at uh, redtreehouse.org slash webinars. So if people uh, want to register for that webinar or listen to any of our previous webinars, we'd be happy to have them do so. Perfect. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave a review and subscribe and tell your friends. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. And when you leave reviews, it makes it easier for people to find us in the searches. Thanks again for being a listener. I'll catch you in the next one.